Good morning. I'm so glad that you could be at Central Church today. 400 years of slavery. Your mom, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents, everybody you've ever known, that's what you've known. That takes a toll on you. Because our enemy knows that togetherness is dangerous. And when people are on the same page, and when they are working together, and when they are, are, are all moving in the same direction, that is a dangerous place to be for the enemy. And he knows that if we really want to see our prayers answered, that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done in Flint, as it is in heaven, that that takes a community to get there, a united, together community to get there. And Pharaoh knew the same thing. Pharaoh knew that if, if the people of Israel... Remember, there's, the Bible tells us there were 600,000 men. And so probably 2 million slaves, 2 million Israelites. And so the way that you control 2 million so that they don't uh, uh, come up against you, that's a formidable force. You keep them separated. You, keep them, you don't let them congregate. You don't let them be in community. Because when they're in community, they start talking together and they start plotting together. And they start thinking of how they're going to overthrow Pharaoh. So what do you do? You keep them apart. So even though they've escaped Egypt, they're still not a community. They, they're, they're, they're still not together. And we're going to see that over and over and over again. I've told you before, it's a lot easier getting the people out of Egypt than getting Egypt out of the people. And this 400 years of captivity has them captive. I think a lot of ways, I hate to say this, but our culture has captivated us too. That we can't simply get away from our culture uh, just like the people of, e of the Israelites couldn't escape their culture just so quick. Help us, Lord. In fact, I hate to say it, some, some Bible scholars, some very smart Bible scholars, have, have taken us and, and have equated our time right now, the 21st century, uh, as like the Babylonian captivity period in Israel's history, and that there's a remnant and we need to be faithful. And, and I understand that and I get that. But I think... The more that I'm in the book of Exodus this summer, it seems to me like we're more like the children of Israel in Exodus. So consumed by our culture, so, so, so influenced by our culture, that it's going to take a while for us to escape it. It takes a while for the people. It, it, this isn't um, a situation where, okay, they're out of Egypt, and now let's just get straight to the promised land. That doesn't happen. If you know this story, and many of you do, you know that it's going to take them a while. But it wasn't that far. Do you know from point A, Egypt, to point B, Promised Land, do you know how far it was? It's 250 miles. And they went straight there, 250 miles. If they walked on a, on a fairly consistent, regular basis, you could make it, you could walk 250 miles if you're in relatively good health. You could walk that 250 miles, 11 days. It could have taken them 11 days. It'd be like if someone said, all right, let's go to Toronto. Um, let's just go to Toronto. And you, and you say, okay, let's great, let's go to Toronto. But let's take the scenic route. Let's go to Toronto via Nashville. 
That's what this is like. Right? And Moses would have looked at a map. Wait a minute. Point A to point B. That's 11, uh, 250 miles, 11 day walk. Let's not go that way. Let's go via Nashville. And then they do kind of a little loop-de-loop while they're going. Let's go. And it takes 40 years. 40 years of wandering. 40 years. 41 encampments. Uh, some have estimated the actual, you know, it's 250 miles. Some have thought it could have been as much that they walked as much as 2,700 miles during those 40 years. What's going on here? Why, why, why the, the distance? Well, the Bible tells us. Chapter 13 is where we are. Verse 17 says, And it came to pass when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God let the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. So God knew they weren't ready. That's the whole point. They weren't ready. They weren't, they weren't a community. They weren't ready to face battle. They weren't ready to, to, to go through that 250 miles with the land of the Philistines. And they would have been in battle. And God knew they weren't ready. They've been making bricks for the last 400 years. They are not warriors. They're brick makers. Not a lot of, that's not a marketable skill when you're going through a territory that could land itself to war. So they weren't tested, they weren't prepared, they weren't ready. God said, you're not ready, you're not a community, you're not together yet. I think there's a couple of takeaways from that. The first takeaway is simply, sometimes the most important lesson we can learn is patience. I know, we want patience right now. <laughs> you know, we want patience, but we don't always like the way we, we gather patience. And one of the lessons I think we can learn is sometimes the fastest route is not always the best route. And that God has things to teach us along the journey. And, and, and in that journey, sometimes, sometimes, we need to be molded and shaped into the person of Jesus Christ. And that doesn't happen some, for some of us just quick, quick, quick. We don't always like that lesson. We, you know, we, want, we, we see, okay, we want to be there, but we're here, and we'd rather be there, Lord. And sometimes we're just not ready. I have a friend, a pastor friend, um, very ambitious, and wanted to pastor a large church. And, and uh, my friend was, in, was, was placed in a very large church, and quite frankly, wasn't ready. There was a lot of challenges, there was a lot of issues. To my friend's credit, you know, the, ch- uh, the church was, had, a, had a bunch of stinkers in it, you know. It was a stinker church. I shouldn't say that. You're not. You're a great church. Love you, love you, love you. Uh, but my friend went to a really difficult church. And, ah. Uh, and now, a few years past, they've since left that church, would admit you know, they weren't ready. They weren't ready for the challenges. They weren't ready. They weren't ready. They thought they were ready. I think at the time they were one of the youngest pastors in a large church like that in our, in our tribe's history. But they just weren't ready. Sometimes we're not ready. And the best lesson we can learn is just wait. Just be still and wait. I was talking to a guy this week and... and and he was talking to me about, you know, 
where he's at in life. And he said, he said, Pastor, I feel like the Lord said for me to wait. What do you think that means? And I, you know, this is not rocket science sometimes, Pastor. I said, well, maybe that means, I don't know, you should wait. Sometimes the Lord tells us that. Again, part of that, I think, is uh, maybe enjoy isn't the word. Maybe appreciate the journey. Even, even when God is checking us, rebuking us, challenging us. Uh, even, even, can I use the word, breaking us? Breaking some of our habits, breaking some of our past alliances, breaking some of those, those things that keep us down. It's appreciating that, saying, God loves me so much, he doesn't want to leave me in the mess that I've been. The situation that I've caused hasn't always been great. And so God is shaping me, making me, molding me into the person he wants. And I should appreciate that part of the journey. Maybe we're not in point C because we haven't learned our lessons in point A. Does that make sense? And God is shaping us and making us into the person he wants us to be. There's a poem, you've, you've probably read it at some point in your life, uh, in school by Robert Frost, that says, two roads diverged in a wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by. And that's made all the difference. Sometimes there's something profound that happens when we take the longer, windier, sometimes more dangerous road, especially if God is leading us down that road. It's not popular. It's not, it's not the road most traveled by. It's the narrow road. It's the, the road where God leads. Jesus said the same thing, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate. And narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Sounds like the popular road, the, the, the densely traveled road, the easy road is not always the best road. Again, to that young man, wait, just wait. That's not always an easy lesson. It's not, don't hear easy through this. Hear best. And sometimes the best isn't always the easiest or the quickest. Let's go to Toronto via Nashville. Another lesson from chapter 13 is that God keeps his promises. God always, always keeps his promises. Bob, that would have been a great place for you to say amen. Not just Bob, everybody. I caught Bob falling asleep right there on a very important point. God always keeps his promises. Oh, you guys do not get it. God always keeps his promises. Finally, for crying out loud. You know, I'm preaching, I'm doing the best I can, trying to get an amen. (laughs) We see that here. Look at this in verse 19, chapter 13. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed his children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you and shall carry up my bones from here with you. That was 400 years prior. That God made that promise to Joseph. In Exodus, you've got to go back to Exodus. Exodus, Joseph says this, I'm about to die, but God will surely come up to your aid, take me up out of the land, into the land he promised oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and, w- and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and they involved him placed in Abai. So 400 years later, 
Moses is making his checklist, right? Okay, just like kind of like you on your on a vacation. Okay, I get my my favorite socks, my favorite T-shirt, my you know my lucky whatever. I got it all. My underwear. Got it all. Pack, 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 pack. Moses is making his checklist. All right, we got my two million uh, closest friends. I got my you know how to cook manna in the desert. No, he doesn't know he's going to have to do that yet. I, I I got. Oh, wait a minute. We got to get the bones of Joseph. Who's got Joe's bones? Go get out. Because God always keeps his promises. God is faithful. I heard this great story. This is from, uh, it used to be called Campus Crusade. Now it's called Crew. And 20 years ago, when when the the Berlin Wall fell down, and and missionaries really were allowed to go into Russia for for the first time, uh, in many places, and and, you know, the Church of Nazarene went there, and, and a bunch of groups started going in, and Crew was one of them. And so they went to this town. I want to make sure I get the town name right. They went to this town called Stravopol, Russia. And they didn't know, but during the Stalin years, Stravopol was highly persecuted. There was a Christian community there, and Stalin came in and, and imprisoned many of the Christians, or some of them just disappeared, never saw again, confiscated all the Bibles. Well, crew didn't know that. Campus Crusade didn't know that, but they just were going there to, you know, tell people about Jesus. So, so they get to the town... And they're supposed to have, I don't know, something happened. There was some red tape in Russia. That would happen, especially 20 years ago. And they're supposed to have like a, this, you know, crate load shipment of Bibles that they were going to use as they tell people about Jesus in Stravopol. Well, the shipment never got there. So they didn't know what they were going to do. We want to tell people about Jesus. We don't have Bibles in Russian. We don't know what to do. And so they're talking about this among themselves and with some of the locals that were there. And one of the locals said, you know what? When they confiscated those Bibles... During the Stalin year, they kept them in a warehouse. I think they're still there. And so, so they, then it's like, well, can we go ask for the Bibles that they confiscated? Is that a good thing to do? Not a good thing? Blah, blah, blah. They talked about it for a couple days. Finally, somebody got up the courage and said, well, what are they going to do? They're just going to tell us no. So they went to the warehouse. They talked to the guards at the warehouse. We understand that there's Bibles here uh, that were confiscated during the Stalin years. And we we're wondering if we could have them back. And the guard or whoever was in charge said, sure, you can have them back. So they had to get, you know, some trucks and all of it. Just hire some workers, not Christians, just people from the town that needed a paycheck to go in and get the Bibles to take them back so they could use them, right? So they, they get these people and they go in with the trucks to get all the Bibles. Well, one of the guys, one of the guys, the workers, he was just getting a paycheck. He wasn't a Christian. In fact, if anything, he was an atheist and kind of an anti-Christian for a number of reasons. Well, he was one of the guys. So they, they're getting the Bibles and they're loading them up and they, they realize this guy wasn't around. And so they didn't know where he went or what was going on. And so they, they started looking for him. They found him. He was in a corner and he was bawling his eyes out. And they went up to him and they said, what's, what's going on? What's the, what's the problem? And the guy said, well, we're here grabbing these Bibles and I thought I would take one for myself. If you're going to steal something, steal a Bible. Don't tell the folks at life or at the Bible bookstore on Miller Road that I said that, but don't steal their Bibles. You can steal one of our Bibles. Take one. They're yours. So this guy, this guy took a Bible and he opened up the Bible. You know, there was, there was thousands of Bibles that they confiscated, right? He opened up the Bible. It was his grandmother's Bible. His grandmother's Bible. She had her name written in it. 
He was an atheist because of the way his grandmother had been treated and persecuted for her faith. And he grabs a Bible of the thousands of Bibles. He grabs his grandmother's Bible. A grandmother who no doubt had prayed for her grandchildren. That they would know Jesus. That they would come to Jesus. What happened? God is faithful. That's what I'm trying to tell you. God is faithful. We can trust him. Well, all right, let's read on. So in chapter 13, my eyes are all blurry now. Here we go. Verse 20. So they took their journey from Sokoth to Etham to the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and led them by, by that way and by night in a pillar of fire and give them light so they could go by day or night. Woo! That's pretty good. You would think, wow, we're out of Egypt. We got this cloud leading us. All you got to do, how do we get there? I don't know, follow the cloud. We got this fire behind us. Don't have to worry about the the rear attack. We got a fire back there. Fire has always, throughout Bible, uh, represented God. You know, when did Moses in the... In the burning bush, it was a fire. Day of Pentecost, tongues of fire. Fire represents God's power. So it's pretty good, right? We're out of Egypt. We got, we got God's presence. Nothing can go wrong, right? Oh, not so fast. You know what's going to happen. Pharaoh's going to change his mind. And, and start chasing after them. He's going to say, oh my, what in the world have I done? I let these two million slaves go. Who's going to make our bricks? I don't know. Let's go get them. And of course, the Egyptian army at the time was the world's, you know, it was the, the most advanced army of its day. The world's superpower. And again, these guys, they don't know anything about war. They know how to make bricks, that's all. Sometimes life brings challenges. No matter what you see on TikTok or Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, with everybody's smiling faces, life isn't always easy for anyone. All of us, at some point in our life, will face some challenges. Every single one of us. What we can know, we may not know what tomorrow holds, right? But we know this. What did I just tell you? God is always faithful. We can trust Him. So even though they have all this going on, the cloud and the fire, they're all getting all upset. And chapter 14 tells us what happens next. Chapter 14, verse 10. Here the people go. Were there no graves in Egypt that you've had to take us into the die in the wilderness? What have, have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word we told you when we were in Egypt saying, let us alone, we want to serve the Egyptians? I can't talk any higher than that. But it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians and would have died in the wilderness. Where, 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 Moses? We didn't want to go to Toronto via Nashville. Why didn't we just go straight there? What are you doing, Moses? These people are are crying out, even though God has been with them over and over and over again. Even though, even though they've learned, they should have learned by now, right? That they could trust God. They haven't learned it yet. Amen. They're not a community yet. And the Egyptians have arrived. 
Now, just FYI, Bible scholars, as, as many Bible scholars as they are, they will debate on where the, Egypt, or where the Israelites were camped when the Egyptians came. And some say it's this place, and others this place, 20 miles north, 20 miles south. This is what I say, who cares? What's important is there were mountains to the right and mountains to the left, and the Red Sea in front of them, and the Egyptians coming behind them. And what do, they go, what do you do when there's trouble all around? Right? That's the big point here. What do you do when all around you is trouble? Well, listen to what Moses says. Moses, who's been with God Almighty, this is what he says. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. I like the way the NIV reads that passage. It simply says this. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. Be still. The lesson that young man I talked to this week. Be still. Be still. Now sometimes God doesn't say be still. I need to offer a word of caution. In, in, in chapter 17, God's going to say fight. You know, the enemy's there and he's going to say fight, fight, fight. So sometimes God says, be still, and sometimes God says, fight, fight, fight. And in fact, you don't even have to wait all the way to chapter 17. Verse 15, one verse after Moses just says, be still, God says this. Why do you cry out to me? Tell the, the children of Israel, go forward. <laughs> well, which is it? Be still or go forward? And I think the answer is yes. Sometimes God tells you to be still, and sometimes God tells you to go forward. And the key to that is, are you listening to the Holy Spirit's prompting in your life? Amen. Just yesterday, I met with a friend, and he told me how God had spoke to him in a very clear and wonderful way. I want you to know, God still speaks. Yes, he does. Now, not always, not always audible. Sometimes it is. It's not always, you know, uh, 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 it's in those quiet moments. And the more that you spend time with Jesus, the more you'll begin to discern his voice. And he does still speak. My friend was not going crazy. He said, man, I heard, I'm sure it was for the Lord. I said, yeah, it sounds like it was the Lord to me. He still speaks, he still moves, we can trust him. All right, so here we are. Wonderful bedtime story. Unless you're an Egyptian, you know it. The Red Sea splits. Uh, the children of Israel go through on dry ground. Um, um, uh, the, the Egyptians chase after them. They learn that you can't swim, you know, in battle gear. And they get it to the other side. Well, the, the Israelites get to the other side and they don't blub, blub, blub. That's the end of the story. And no, wait, wait, wait. That's not blub, 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 the end of the story. Verse 25. This is what the Egyptians say before blub, blub, blub. Let us flee from the face of the Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Hello, fellas, you should have figured that out before now. There's been ten plagues, the water split, going on dry ground. Oh, this just happened by accident. No, God's fighting for them. I love it. I love it when people, when people recognize that God is doing something. People who may be ungodly or far from the Lord, when they say, man, something's going on there. I think of that even, you know, if you're new, if you're all new, this is your first Sunday. Um, we had, uh, at the, during COVID, we went to an Imagine Initiative, we called it, 
and and which is the worst time to try to raise money, <laughs> you know. Uh, but we did, and our folks were so extremely faithful, and they pledged, you know, uh, right around three million dollars, and that money we're seeing that the. the the, the end of that season is coming, the end of this year, and people have been faithful and they've given and, you know, and that's been a wonderful blessing. You know, we had our children's area has been renovated and over here on the East Wing has been renovated and our office has been renovated and the park I told you last week was supposed to start on July 5th. If you looked out there, so where's the park? It didn't start yet. Uh, the story of this initiative has been, we'll do it next week. And so now, now they're supposed to be here on Tuesday. So maybe next week you'll come. So that's getting done. And our debt, which was $6.2 million when I arrived, is on, save your calendar, save the date, December 17th. We're burning the mortgage. That's not the thing to clap for. You want to know the thing to clap for? The thing to clap for is what's going to happen next year and beyond. When we can take that money that we are spending on a building and giving to a bank, we can spend that money on, on reaching people in Flint. Now here's, now here's the goal. Here's the goal. We can use that and we can do that and we'll do some great initiatives, you know, and our missions team is just now dreaming about what that might look like. And, we, you know, we have current partners and what that might look like and new initiatives. But the goal isn't so that people will say, oh, you know, look at Rob Prince or Pastor Tyler or Pastor John or even the people of, of Central did. What we want them to do is say, oh, look what God is doing. Look what God is up to. And, and that church really does love people. And that church really does care about the city. And that church really does care about our county. And that church is doing great things. Look what God is doing. Look what God is doing. That's what's happening here. Our past is being our past. And God has a future for us. Look what God has done. Look what God has done. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Look what God has done.